Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, uh, you actually end, then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hi there. Welcome to session 91 of Selling the Couch. Hope you're having an excellent week. And if you celebrate Labor Day, hope you had a awesome time Labor Day just enjoying time with friends and family. And if you were in the path of the hurricane, um, I hope that everything is okay with you. I will definitely be thinking about you. In terms of our Labor Day, we actually, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about recently is just to take a technology break. So especially from my smartphone, I feel like sometimes my phone has become an extension of my arm. And I just wanted to take a few days to get away from the technology to kind of analyze things, to spend more time with friends and family and just to spend that really good quality time with family. And it was wonderful just getting to unplug and I feel refreshed and ready to go. Today's podcast is all about marketing to millennials. And my guest is Liz Higgins, who is a marriage and family therapist out in the Dallas area. You know, I'm pretty excited for this conversation because this is something that I have been thinking a lot about as uh, I'm starting to develop and niche down my private practice, uh, which is this concept of focusing on a population as opposed to a diagnosis. And so Liz and I are actually going to be talking a lot about that concept. So what has she found in marketing to a certain population and how's that different than marketing to a diagnosis? And then we're going to talk a lot about her private practice journey. How did she know that she wanted to focus on working with millennials? And then we're going to talk about that concept on focusing on a population as opposed to a diagnosis. We're going to talk about how Liz has gone about crafting her website and where she finds inspiration for both her website copy, but as well as the blog posts that she writes in terms and using those as a way to be able to speak to the clients and the population that she wants to serve. And then we're going to talk a lot about what are three things on her website that has really resonated with clients and that she has noticed has turned website visitors into actual clients for her practice. This is a wonderful conversation, whether you are looking to market to millennials and working with the millennial population, which by the way, we do define what a millennial is, 
or just thinking generally about working with a, a certain population, there's a lot of wisdom in this episode. But before we get to today's episode, I just wanted to take a moment to thank this month's podcast sponsors, which today it is Kelly Higdon and Miranda Palmer from Zinimi. I've gotten to know Kelly and Miranda here over the last year and a half, and they're just two wonderful therapists who really care about our profession and care about helping therapists create great clinical outcomes when it comes to our private practices. And more importantly than that, they love helping us create profitable therapy businesses and that allow us to serve more people. You can check them out at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Kelly and Miranda. So here is my conversation with Liz Higgins from LizHigginsMFT.com. Hi, Liz. Welcome to Selling the Couch. Hey, Melvin. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on the show. I'm excited for our conversation, and I didn't realize, one, talking to a fellow Texan, but we also have a lot in common in terms of past past training and all of those things. Very cool. Small, small world. It makes me feel so comforted. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel a level of comfort with you as well. So we're talking about this concept of marketing to millennials in specific, and maybe actually we should take a step back. How would you actually define what a millennial is, just to make sure we're all on the same page? Oh, yeah, that's such a good question, because even when I'm talking to colleagues about specializing in millennials, they're like, wait, what are millennials exactly? So, yeah, millennials are essentially the young adults in today's world that are around 20, 30 age range. So they typically started being born around the late 70s, and the generation has kind of concluded towards the late 90s just before 2000. So the millennial generation has really been shaped by some unique things. We've experienced the Great Recession, just kind of the new concept, well, not new, but the idea of terrorist attacks and post 9-11 and school shootings and just all these interesting and really significant influences that have impacted our world, of course, but our generation, absolutely. You don't think about it like on that level, right? Like, you only realize it when you list it out like that, just thinking about all of the different events that have happened, right? And that does shape a generation. It truly does. There's so many factors I'm sure we'll get into as we keep talking, but there are really a lot of unique aspects about being a millennial. And I think they get a bad rep in the media. So I'm really passionate about kind of speaking out on behalf of their strengths too, and a lot of the great things about this generation. I wanted to start by asking, like, how did you even decide that you wanted to focus on working with millennials in specific? Yeah, that's a great question because my use of the term millennials really came a little later for me. I started my private practice on the side while I was working at an IOP agency full time during the day once I got my license a couple years ago. So in the state of Texas, LMFT associates at the intern status can actually start private practices. So I always knew that I wanted to eventually do private practice. So starting in that IOP setting, I really did work with probably like 90% millennials, meaning they were typically clients in their early 20s coming into the IOP and 
being close to that age myself, there was really an obvious connection with clients when they would come in. And I think there was a sense of comfort for them in knowing that I was a young adult too, and that I kind of just sort of had that automatic understanding of like, hey, you get what the world is like today. So I always knew I wanted to work with couples, being an LMFT, of course, all about the relationship stuff. So I really felt a passion to work with couples coming out of grad school and always knew I wanted to do premarital counseling. And so obviously, a lot of newlyweds and engaged couples are younger. So in today's world, a lot of them are going to be millennials. So it just kind of came to be that I picked up on that word and was reading more and more articles about millennials and just different challenges for millennial couples and dating in the millennial generation. And it just really resonated with the kinds of clients I was seeing as I continued to build my practice. So It just stuck. I used it one time. And after that, I was like, I think this is a thing. And I really think I want to harness this, use it to reach that demographic. Like, I feel the best work is done when you feel passionate about a population or Mm -hmm. something folks struggle with. Right. And you found that for you. Did that like evolve over time? Or like you said, you wanted to work with couples, you knew you wanted to work with millennials, you, you wanted to work with all of these different aspects. But Was that something that, like, did you know you want to do all of those things or was that something that kind of evolved over time? I think it evolved over time. I think that we maybe have an idea of what we want to go into when we're starting grad school. At least that was for me. I knew, I did know at the beginning, hey, I would love to work with relationships, intimacy, couples, that whole dynamic, really passionate about marriage, just coming from a family where marriage was a really strong value. And then seeing the success rates of marriage not being so high, I felt passionate about wanting to make a difference in that. Personally, just kind of seeking resources as a young married person myself, it was hard to find stuff out there that really valued working through your marriage problems and succeeding in that versus the mentality of our world today, which is kind of instant gratification. If it's not working for you, find something else. And just seeing that kind of happen in people's lives around me, I would say over time, if anything, that passion really became more and more solidified as I worked with clients and kind of working in different settings like the IOP. I worked in an inpatient treatment center as well. I've worked in just different atmospheres and just always was really seeking that family time, that couple time with clients, because that was just the most rewarding for me. I was thinking as you were talking, there's, I'm going to totally butcher this, but there was that Steve Jobs quote where, and this was like at that Stanford commencement speech where he -hmm. said like he had these certain experiences, like he learned typography, right? And he didn't know how he would use it, but later way down the line, that ended up forming a lot of like the templates for fonts for the Mac, right? And I was just thinking right. about that quote. It's like he is basically that in that moment, he couldn't understand why he was doing that. But looking backwards, right, he could understand how it all kind of formed together. And I just kept thinking about that for you. It's like you mm. identified this passion and you didn't exactly know where you were going with it, but you knew you were passionate about it. And I think a lot of times, clinicians, we get so scared, right? Like we want to have it all planned out exactly what our careers are going to look like. And oh yeah, sometimes it's just that courage to take that first step, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely true. And everywhere I've worked over the course of the past few years has been really like 
just insurmountable to me becoming the therapist I am today. Just because I'm not working solely in an IOP setting today doesn't mean that that experience I got was not pivotal in me being the therapist I am in my private practice. So I'm just grateful all across the board for the people I've worked with and the clients I've been able to help. That's really neat. Liz, you did something which was, well, I don't know if it's unique, but you focused on a population instead of a diagnosis, right? Mm -hmm. And so what would you say are kind of the advantages of that? Maybe we'll break it down into just talking about some of the advantages and then talking about some of the challenges that brings. Definitely. I think with everything, there are pros and there are cons. And so (laughs) I will not be beyond the cons. But (laughs) yeah, being an LMFT, obviously, my framework is systemic. And so my framework is not to focus on pathology. But of course, I acknowledge that in my work with clients. But what I've really enjoyed about kind of marketing to the millennial as a whole, that generation is I'm really able to kind of remove labels off of their presenting problems and really normalize what they're going through because a lot of times it is transitional issues, launching from family of origin, finding, you know, that 20 something quarter life crisis, kind of finding myself, figuring out the legacy I want to leave in my life and the values I want to live by. And of course, we know that there are pathological things that can arise from that, like stress, anxiety, depression, all sorts of stuff. But I think that has been a pro for me because I haven't come off as kind of focusing on pathological things. I think another pro is that I really honor the context of their issues like we would in looking at family of origin dynamics. I just step out a bit wider and also acknowledge the societal and worldly pressures that an individual or a couple is experiencing today. And we really talk about that stuff. How is the world that you're experiencing today different from the one your parents experienced, the one that their parents experienced? And kind of having a Bowenian flair to my work, that exploration of their own family dynamic is stuff that is really beneficial and fruitful for the client. Yeah, let me just make sure I heard you right. So being able to like think one of the pros of thinking about it based on a population is that it just gives you a lot more flexibility in terms of what you'll explore and how you'll explore in session as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I was also thinking like, I imagine that it's really helpful in terms of like just your creative space, like what you can do with it in terms of marketing or writing blog posts or things like that. Absolutely. Yes. You're hitting nail on the head with that because being a younger and newer therapist, I know that the marketing process today is really, hey, be an expert in something and have a niche. And that was kind of tricky for me because I really didn't want to put myself out there as I'm an expert in anxiety or I'm an expert in borderline personality disorder or couples with an addiction. Like I didn't really want to limit myself because in some ways I'm still trying to figure out that kind of niche. So this way I was really able to reach a wider grasp of clients and potential people. And when I need to refer, I refer and, and I'm absolutely ethical in what I do, but it's been a great way to kind of be able to blog about lots of different things, speak on a lot of different things with that underlying theme of specializing in relationships, specializing in systemic issues, family of origin dynamics, and those things that come with being an LMFT. What would you say are some of the challenges that it's been thinking about it from a population perspective? 
Yeah. Well, like I was kind of mentioning before, I think that one of the cons is that potential clients might not see me as an expert at dealing with specific issues. Most of how I get my clients today is social media. It's online. It is people that land on my website and have read through my blog and things like that. And so I think a potential con could be that I, I'm not putting out there a specialty in terms of diagnoses. So potential clients might look elsewhere where they could find somebody who is, for example, trained in EMDR and specifically works with trauma, adult children of alcoholics kind of thing. I think another con that I've experienced has been actually kind of feeling misunderstood by colleagues because there are so few other professionals that I've found who really market themselves, I guess, loudly as millennial therapists or therapists for millennials. I get a lot of like, what does that mean from people? What is a millennial? What do you mean by that? So I'm kind of having to refine what is my elevator speech? What do I want to tell other professionals about that? The great thing is, is when I tell them to check out my website, there's a lot of content that I've got on there that I think can really give them a good idea of the kind of issues I help clients with. Yeah, I checked out your website. I wanted to spend ample time on that topic because I, mm-hmm. I do think like you've crafted your website really well and you use language that resonates. Mm-hmm. How did you go about actually researching and crafting your website? Yeah, and I appreciate that feedback. I'm always like, yay, it's great to hear that somebody got something out of seeing their website because it was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Mm-hmm. And I used Squarespace so at the very beginning. I knew from the get-go I wasn't going to pay somebody to make the website for me. I really wanted it to do it myself. And also, as we all know, at the beginning of this process, building your business, there's not a lot of extra funds laying around. So I really kind of dove into just reading and learning about good copy and something that really influenced the development of my website was actually using one of Ramit Sethi's copyright courses that he had. I don't know if you're familiar with his book. The, yeah, I'm a big I, fan. <laughs> yeah, I will teach you to be rich and all that stuff. And man, he is intense. So coming from the compassionate, non-business minded, I just want to help people mindset. I was like, okay, <laughs> I've really got to dive into this and figure out how I can speak to my potential client to where when they're on my website, they feel comfortable reaching out to me, a complete stranger. So that was really helpful. I have to say Casey Trufo's book was also a really, really important part of me building my confidence and facing some of the fears I have about putting things out on my website. This is Be a Wealthy Therapist? Be a Wealthy Therapist, yes. But I would say as far as crafting the website, really learning and harnessing how to make that good, relatable copy and the content in my blogs has really been what's drawn clients to me. There's so much more I could say on blogging and spreading your blogs to other avenues that has also really, really helped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that was, I think, kind of my next question. Like, what would be some of those like things that on your website that you feel like has really resonated with clients? Yeah, definitely. Well, the first thing is the content for sure. When you're doing something right, when a client tells you, you sound exactly like the kind of person I'm looking for. Hmm. And they say things like, your website really spoke to me. I had a client that said, I really connected to what you wrote on the website. And I mean, that is just validation of, okay, I'm saying the right things because 
people are getting it. They're connecting and that's what they want at the end of the day. We feel secure when we feel connected. So the blog posts, the content in the blog posts, again, that has just been a fabulous way to get my voice out there and get people experiencing my tone and kind of my approach to life and relationships. But yeah, the content definitely speaking the client's language has been one of the things that spoke to clients. So how did you actually figure out what language and what type of things that potential millennials would be like would resonate with on your site? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And interestingly enough, like I'm a millennial myself, but I actually had to do some research on this. (laughs) Because I, I guess I'm not the all-around stereotypical millennial in some aspects. I mean, there's so much unique verbiage and just like terms and things that millennials use. Like, I actually didn't know what FOMO was until a client told me. They were like, gosh, I'm just experiencing so much FOMO. And I was like, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah what's going on? Yeah, I went home that day and realized a fear of missing out. Okay, got it. So it's not like new completely baffling themes that millennials are experiencing. It's normal things like uncertainty, fear of failure, pressure from parents, the experience of having helicopter parents, the impact of financial debt, student debt that the millennial generation is experiencing, not to mention a huge factor in relationships, which is the choice paradox, having too many options for potential partners because of the way social media has transform dating. So I did some research for sure and just really made sure I was in tune with current research, current trends. I actually have a blog post where I list out some of those sources where I get a lot of my facts on millennials because I think that's information worth sharing and worth everybody knowing. Right. One of the tips I've kind of learned is look at other blogs that millennials would also read? Like, did you do anything like that? Like, look at magazines, blogs, forums, like anything like that? Yes, I definitely did see what was out there. I actually landed a nice little side gig to start contributing on a millennial entrepreneur website. So that's kind of exciting. Yeah. And that's just me kind of reaching out and checking out other people's stuff. But it's been cool too, because on a personal level, I have other millennial aged friends that have gone on to do really cool things like become entrepreneurs themselves and start successful businesses. So just kind of having it in with some of them to the resources that they reach, the people they study People like Tim Ferriss, Ryan Holiday, these are successful millennial entrepreneurs that write a lot of stuff about how to be successful at that, really. Yeah, that's crazy. You're speaking my language here. (laughs) I know you just recently kind of made that your niche, too, which makes so much sense. But yeah, like even on that note, I think in terms of that question you asked about what speaks to clients from my website, I found that when I share work of other people that I like... Potential clients seem to like that too. Obviously, this is a big and probably common example, but I had a client that told me that she ended up kind of going with me because of the Brene Brown quote that I had posted on my website at the time. And that's a good reminder that at times we forget, like Brene Brown, she's huge to us. Like we know all of her stuff. She's taken the mental health world by storm. But I think sometimes we forget how much we know and are exposed to of the mental health field that our clients are not. So it's great to post those things and keep up with that exciting stuff because you just never know who's reading. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think underneath that, I was just thinking that sometimes we have this fear of sharing other people's content, right? Mm-hmm. Thinking like, oh my gosh, that's going to drive traffic to their website or they're going to mm-hmm. steal my client away. But the thing is... Scarcity mindset. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. But I think you say it's such a good point because if you provide content, if you provide value, whether it's writing your own content or sharing it or whatever it is, right, that resonates mm-hmm. with your tribe, your people then they Mm -hmm. will find you, right? So true. And I think that kind of speaks to a trend of the millennial generation. Just as a whole, research has kind of shown that they're really open-minded to new information, that one way is not the only way. So I think putting out there that, hey, I respect these other professionals' views and writing, it just speaks to that. Yeah, I mean, and underneath that, it's like, okay, there's a Brene Brown quote, but underneath that is this idea that, hey, Liz shared that. I remember that. Right. Something I wasn't expecting to ever really hear. I put so much work into all these other things that I've created. It's crazy to think that, oh, okay, a quote resonated with you. Yeah, that is really interesting. Just shifting a little bit, how do you figure out what you'll blog about? Well, that's such a great question because when I started blogging, I was kind of blogging about like anything and everything. And I think I was just way too all over the place. But just starting out, I think that was what I needed to do. Eventually, I realized that blogging was really what was going to help refine my niche and just kind of speak directly to some of the specific issues that Yes, millennials, but also just young couples are experiencing out there. So like in my blogging, I tend to write more to the issues that I see my clientele experiencing. It's actually not so much specific to millennial stuff, but I definitely do comment on that and bring that out every now and then. But the blogging is really where I will get more into some of those diagnostic issues that we see, like what to do if you have a depressed partner or what to do if your partner is using drugs. And I write on anxiety, pre-wedding stress, family issues, couple issues with control. I mean, a lot of the underlying theme of my relationship blogs is differentiation, which is what has resonated with me since grad school, the separateness and togetherness in relationships and finding balance in your life. So to me, there is theory woven into my blog writing, but I write it in terms that people are going to understand. So I may not sound very clinical, but I think I sound realistic and people really grasp that. How do you generally like structure your blog posts? I know it can kind of vary, but some by that mm-hmm. I mean, do you like tend to like write short little burst sentences? Do you include graphics? Like how do you usually structure them? Yeah, I do use graphics. I try to. Back some months ago, I definitely sat down and did a little research on, hey, what makes the most effective blog posts? And having some form of media in there showed to be helpful with that. So I definitely do that. I try to keep it short. I would say four to 500 words. I can get pretty long-winded sometimes. (laughs) So I try my best to make it short. Sometimes it doesn't happen. I try to personalize a little bit where I can while really being cognizant of self-disclosure as a therapist. I think two of my favorite blog posts I've written are, one was called A Letter I Wrote to My Single Self, and then another one was My Husband is Not My Other Half. Mm. And that one I call my mini viral blog because I think it got like 
2,000 likes or something when I posted it. And that was a really exciting moment, just kind of being on the other side of that. But the format just kind of varies. Sometimes it's just paragraph form, a few paragraphs. Other times it's more of a list, like the five things you need to know before planning your wedding might be an example. I mean, it's so interesting you mentioned about those viral posts because Mm -hmm. I do think this is kind of the struggle for us clinicians is, I mean, we do know that sharing things that are more personal, especially in our field, especially like, I feel like it resonates for clients, right? Like that we're not just Mm -hmm. a therapist that's like sitting there on a couch and like while they close their eyes and we like stare at them, right? So I think it it humanizes us, but it's like, it's that struggle of how much to share and what too much, but I mean, it's cool to see that you shared something that resonated with so many people. It really is. And just kind of going back to something you said at the beginning of our chat today that really resonated with me was just the truth in how passionate I am about this. I'm not just pulling random topics that I think will get more people to my website. Like I'm really writing about things I'm very passionate about, things I believe in. I don't think any blog I've written is anything I have felt forced to explore or write about because I think that's what readers want. I'm really writing from my heart under the layers of my education and being a professional, and it's working. That's really amazing. Uh, Liz, as we wrap Mm -hmm. up, what would you say is the most important lesson that you've learned in marketing to millennials? Yeah, this is such a good question. I think from the works of Casey Truffaut to Brene Brown to Bowen, I have learned that I have to believe in myself. If I don't believe in my skills and my passion for helping others, why should they? So I think I'm finding that I really need to get out of my own way and put myself in the shoes of my client. Of course, continuing to be a client and do my own work personally as I keep going through this journey of being a therapist has really been helpful. You never stop growing. Something else I've really learned through all of this and learning how to market is that perfect is not a good marketing goal and neither is good enough. I've found that good goals for marketing are to be honest, to be authentic, to be competent, to be ethical, and just remembering that I'm never done. There's always going to be more to say and more to do to help couples in the world. Yeah, you just said that so beautifully because you can do things, you can try to take a quick step or do something that gets a quick client, but if it comes at the compromising of a relationship or how you're perceived, then it's not really worth it, right? Yeah, that is so true. It makes a world of a difference, Melvin, when you've got groups and support like the Selling the Couch group that you've created. I mean, I'm not just saying this, your group and some of these other, even just Facebook groups where I've always felt like I could go to throw ideas around, ask for support, just check in on like, hey, is this normal that I'm feeling like ah, crazy right now? It's been a huge part of me being able to continue through. We're so glad that you're part of our community. What are some of the best ways that folks can get in touch with you? Well, I'm all over social media. I've got Instagram and Twitter, and I'm also on Facebook. You can find me. My handle is at Millennial Couples. 
You can also find me on my website, of course, where my blog is as well. And that's www.lizhigginsmft.com. Awesome. Liz, thank you so much for sharing such great information. And I'm so glad that we've been able to connect. Hi there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Liz. And again, you can find Liz's website at lizhigginsmft.com. You know, just this conversation with Liz, it made me so excited about focusing on a population. So, you know, as I've initially, I was thinking maybe I just want to work with entrepreneurs, but then I realized there are a couple of populations that I feel pretty passionate about. So right now, and I have a feeling this may evolve, but uh, right now my kind of tagline is peak performance for high achievers. And so I want to thinking a lot about working with entrepreneurs and basketball players and, and all sorts of young professionals, things like that. But I'm looking forward to taking a lot of this wisdom that Liz shared and employing it on my own private practice journey. And I hope it's the same for you. Liz mentioned a number of resources, and you can find all of those at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number nine one. As we wrap up, I just wanted to give a shout out to Kelly and Miranda for supporting today's podcast session. So just a little bit of background about almost, I guess it's coming on a year ago, as I started thinking about jumping back into private practice, I was looking for some effective private practice coaches who had had really good results because I just thought, you know, learning from a lot of the wisdom of other private practitioners, but I wanted someone to be able to guide me. And there are a number of amazing private practice coaches. I kept hearing about this program called Business Bootcamp. And one of my really good friends is in Business Bootcamp, and she could not stop raving about it. And that's what convinced me to join late last, actually last year, about in uh, mid of last year. And so Kelly Miranda offers this business bootcamp a couple of times a year, but you can get a free version where you get some mini lessons to help you get started on your private practice journey. And you can find that and they'll send it over email and you can find that at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Kelly and Miranda. And that'll just kind of give you an idea of some of the things to think about in private practice, but also get a pulse of who Kelly and Miranda are as people. We would love to continue this conversation on working with millennials and working with a population. And to do that, you can join the Selling the Couch community, which you can find at sellingthecouch.com forward slash community. We are rapidly growing. I'm adding a little under a 100 clinicians a week and we just passed uh, 2,500 clinicians in the community. So hope you can join us if you haven't had a chance. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you again for tuning in, and I'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com.
So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.